Hello. Hey man, you right? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Oh, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on. Oh, thank you. Good thank luck. you very much. It's my pleasure. I was going to say, good luck for um, tomorrow against Deasley. Thank you very much. I'll probably come to the game tomorrow and see you play. But yeah, good luck. Yeah. But um, Thank you very much, no. Today in the episode, we'll talk about a bit about your career and where you yep. started and everything about your career, really. So can you tell me a bit about the... Re- or, oh, sorry. Um, can you tell me a bit how you started your career? Yeah, so it all started with um, just as a little kid, you know, just uh, kicking the ball around the pitch back at home. Uh, it was basically outside uh, outside the front garden. We just had a, a bit of patch of grass and, you know, kids from the next door down the street would all just, we would all just congregate on the same patch of grass, play a bit of football. And then uh, my parents would t- uh, take me down to training sessions in the evening, you know, just to see how it is. Um, I was only about four or five years old. And uh, from then on, it slowly progressed, um, started getting better and better. Uh, went to school, started playing in a school team. Um, I started doing well, better and better again in my team um, that I was playing for at the time, going to training every evening after school. And then uh, from then, I think I was about 10, 11. Um, I was just so big and, and so uncoordinated that I lost that bit of edge compared to the other lads. So I ended up going in goal. And that's how I became kind of a goalkeeper. I've gone from being the tallest, quickest player to the tallest, lankiest and most uncoordinated <laughs> kid in the pitch. So um, my dad was like, listen, like, this is not going really well anymore. You know, you've become too quick. You know, you're just tackling the kids, you're kicking them in the ankle, you're not really getting to the ball, you're a bit too slow and sluggish. Not sure if this is for you, I don't know if you want to carry on doing this. And um, just thought, you know, I'm so big, I'm so tall, taller than anyone, why not go in goal? So I ended up going in goal and then just stuck there ever since. Um, Playing for my local team, going to goalkeeper sessions, doing better and better, starting to notice a big difference after about the first year of goalkeeping sessions. Even the parents of the other kids in the team were like, you know, he doesn't look like the same kid that we had a year ago. He's he's doing so well. He he's just he's just a big part of the team now. And then um, I think I was about twelve, thirteen. I started getting noticed from bigger teams in the country back at home in Hungary. Big academies in Budapest started to, uh, paying uh, attention to me, and I ended up signing to one of the bigger teams in Budapest, Budapest Honvéd. They took me up to the academy, so. That was about two and a half hours from home, so I'd be doing a train journey every weekend there, study up there, go to training, um, play games, and then on the weekend when I could go back home on the train, on the train back to my home city, stay with my family for a day, then Sunday afternoon back to the uh, big city again, and then I got noticed for the national team at that age. I started playing for the under thirteens, under fourteens, going to tournaments with the under fifteen, sixteens, and then. That's where I ended up getting noticed by Stoke City. Um, I came on trial for a week and then I ended up moving out here on my own. I was in their academy for nearly 10... uh, How long was that? Uh, 2013, yeah, about six years. And then um, I went to Wigan for a year. Then unfortunately, COVID and the administration hit at Wigan. So I had to leave Wigan Wigan. I went to Peterborough been here a year and a half and then I ended up going on loan to Maidenhead in uh, December last year 
enjoyed it, did well in the first two games, and then ended up making the move permanent just in January. Jeez, I have to admit that is an incredible football story from where you started from being a lanky kid and getting into that goalkeeping position and then getting moving to England and playing for top teams in Hungary and getting that Hungary national team. But you mentioned Hungary and playing for well, some of the bigger teams in Hungary. And can you tell me about how you got scouted originally? So um, when I was playing for my hometown team, um, we were about two and a half, three hours from Budapest, from the capital. So there's regional leagues in the country. So you'd have an Eastern uh, an Eastern League, you'd have a Western League, and then the teams in Budapest would kind of get into a draw. So you'd have, I think you have one, two, three, I think you've got about five or six big teams in Budapest who've got big academies. And then what they would do is they, they'll pick three teams to compete in the Eastern Division, and they'd pick three teams to compete in the Western Division. So I'd constantly play against some of the bigger clubs um, whilst playing at my hometown team. So the first time I really got noticed was when I was, um, let me think, I was about 11 years old. So I'm born in 97. This must have been about 2008, 2009. I was about 11 years old and I was playing two age groups higher. So I was playing for the players, for the kids that were born in 95. I ended up playing against the biggest team in the country, Ferencváros, who, who have gone on to play in the Champions League uh, a couple of seasons ago, their academy, and we beat them 3-0 at home. I kept the clean sheet, did really well, and this is all whilst I was playing two against two years older kids. So um, after that game, I remember my mum telling me that, obviously this was recently, she told me that, that was the first time when her phone rang and, and it was the manager, it was the, the coach of the team saying, oh, like, who who am I? But they'd never seen me before, they never heard of me before, but they found out that I'm two years younger than the team that I played against. And all of a sudden, you know, there was a bit of attention around me. They were asking to have a look at me on a trial. They wanted my parents to go up there, take me up so I could, so I could train with them and they could have a look at me. And then... That would carry on for the next year or so. I started getting more and more teams looking at me. Um, back at home, the national team starts um, selective trials. So you'd get regional teams. So you start with, let's say, a county 11 that would play against all the regional counties. And then uh, in there, there would be like a, a selection. So you'd have then a regional 11. And then the regional 11 would go to the national team camp. So let's say Southeast would play against Northwest and the Budapest teams would have an 11 and uh, that would be at like 13, 14. So obviously, as soon as I got picked and we played against all those teams, then all the other big teams in the country started paying attention and sending scouts uh, to watch me play. Uh, and then I, again, I played in a tournament one time. I think again, it was like another 30s tournament. I was in goal, um, saved some penalties in the quarterfinal. Then I went up front, scored a goal in the semi-final. Then they sent me back in goal to make sure we win the game. So I was still kind of uh, mixing and matching between playing up front, playing in goal. And then after that tournament, again, a team really uh, came to my parents and said, listen, we really like him. We want him to come and sign for us. We want him to play for us. So I had a couple of teams interested. But in the end, I ended up signing to the team that had an academy complex that had the school, the pitches and everything in within the same complex. 
because obviously at the time I was I was 13. I didn't really want to move to Budapest on my own. You know, I, I've come from a city that part, that has 50, 60,000 people living there. Budapest has got about a million and a half. So learning, learning a massive city on my own, traveling, it took me an hour to get from the train station to the academy. I had to take subways. I had to take tubes. I had to get onto the tram. So it was just a lot. And, and then for me to go to the other academies, I would have had to be in like a shared accommodation, jump on the train to get to school, then jump on the bus to go to training in the evening on my own at 13 years old. So I ended up picking the team that had the complex that had everything in the same building. And yeah, from then on, I played for the national team at 14, 15, 16 against the likes of Switzerland, Italy, um, Slovakia. And it was a game against Slovakia when we won 2-1. I had an agent at the time and he come to me after the game and said, listen, I've had some scouts here who work with Stoke City. They're looking for a goalkeeper your age and they really liked you. So there there might be a chance for you to go on trial. And I think this was in about November. That went quiet. I, I think I even forgot about it. And then in January, the, literally the first week of January, I got a phone call from him saying, listen, remember that time you played? Well, Stoke City are now offering to fly you out, take you on a trial, have you out with them for 10 days, nearly two weeks, just so you can train, have a look at everything because they really like you. So I ended up flying out, having, a, I think it was 10, 12 days worth of uh, training with them. <coughs> Sorry. So I did about 10 days, 12 days of training um, in and around the academy, seeing the first team, training with their goalkeepers, training with the first team goalkeeper coach at the time. Really enjoyed it. And they turned around and said, yes, we really want to uh, sign you. We really like you. You know, you're a good kid. You're very tall. You've got the physical aspect. And we believe there is something that we can work with. So that's how it originally came around for me to come to the country. <coughs> and you previously mentioned about being quite young while playing for these top academies and playing for your country. And was it hard trying to study while also being a professional, even at a young age? It was hard, but um, I had no choice, really. My family has always been um, a firm believer in that uh, education has to come first. So even from the ages of seven, eight, nine, as soon as I started school, the golden rule was, you know, as long as your studies are doing well and your grades are good, you can play as much football as you want. You can go out whenever you want, play football, go to training, go to the games on the weekend. As soon as your grades start dropping, that's it. You know, we're not letting you go to training again. So I'd have to make sure that my grades were in line. I was studying. Thank God my mum was a school teacher in the school that I was at. So I had really good help from her teaching me um, how to be as efficient as possible. So I wasn't spending three hours doing homework. I was spending an hour doing homework, an hour reading, getting all my um, exercising as well on the side. So... I had to make sure I had my studies uh, on the side. Uh, even when I came to Stoke, um, we've had the scholar program. So we've done our coaching badges. I've got a, a personal fitness uh, qualification. Uh, I've got my refereeing course done. So we've done quite a lot of things, you know, to set us up just in case um, we do not make it. Or even if you do make it after you come out of football, there's got to be something there that, you know, you want to continue doing or 
you want to pick up and get more involved in. And can you also tell me a bit about your first hungry call up? Um, it, it was uh, it was quite funny because at the time I was only about I want to say twelve, thirteen. Jeez. So what happens is um, for the under thirteens, I believe actually it's under fourteen. So thirteen year olds we are. You go to your local team. You'll play in these games and then you'll have people there who will pick the city's best 11. So then the city's best 11 will then go to play in the county finals. So what it will be is the best teams will play against each other. And then at the end of the tournament, they'll pick a, a county 11. Then the county 11, a couple of weeks later, will go to a regional final where we'll play against all the other counties around the area. Then again, what happens is after those tournaments, they'll pick an 11 then that 11 goes to play at the national team's training camp. So what that happens there is you'll have five teams from five parts of the country will all play a mini tournament against each other. And then <clears throat> the tradition is that the under-14 team then enters, uh, enters an under-16s tournament in Hungary. There's a massive under-16s tournament. And uh, what they do is they, they pick the best 11 and then we go and play against these club teams who are all 15, 16-year-old lads as 14-year-olds as the Hungarian under-15 national team. So that was my first taste of um, national team football. And then after that, I believe my first call-up was when I was 15. Uh, I, was at, I was in Budapest already at the academy. And what happened was um, there was a dual header against... I believe it was Italy, in Italy. So what happened was I got a phone call from my mum saying, listen, we've just had an email. The national team want you to uh, come and play for them against Italy. You'll be flying out on this and this day. This and this day is the meet-up. You'll be meeting up with everyone at uh, the national team training camp. So I was at the academy and obviously I was just out in the uh, hallway trying to take the phone call before I went to bed and I, I can just remember not being able to sleep being so uh, excited to be going to play with the national team and then uh, <clears throat> I believe it was, it was a week after we ended up flying out to Italy right down to the bottom of Italy down south you know lovely weather sun's out played the game flew back then Italy flew over two weeks later we played them in the return fixture so yeah it was it was an unbelievable feeling. It was just, you know, a proud moment for my family, for myself, to put on that shirt for the first time properly, and just to my parents to be able to come and watch me play for my national team. And seeing your name on the back of the hungry shirt and playing for this hungry team, did that give you an extra boost of getting into pro football and establishing as a professional footballer? Absolutely. Um, everyone wants to represent their country at the biggest stages and at this time Hungary's national team has been going through a rough patch I believe 2016 was the first big competition we managed to get to I think since for the for the last 25 years 26 years so it's been a long time since I've been able to see my country at a big tournament so it was a massive motivation when I had my first shirt to be, okay, you know what, I want to make it to a big competition. I want to. I don't want to just watch my team. I want to be able to be part of the team and, 
and you know hopefully even play for my national team at a big tournament so to see them in 2016 when I was 19 years old and that age I went to the Euro qualifiers with my under 19s national team it's just it just gives you a massive boost and it's a massive motivation to keep carrying on and to keep working harder and harder so I don't just play for the 19s I end up playing for the 21s and then I don't just play for the 21s then I end up getting picked for the first, for the national uh, senior men's national team and then I know after um well you were playing for Hungary still at a young age but even at a young age you moved from Hungary to England and what was that like making this move from Hungary to Stoke to play this football but leaving your home behind it was tough. It was really tough. I was only 16 at the time. What helped me prepare a lot was um, that move to Budapest on my own. I had gone from my parents picking me up, dropping me off to training, coming to watch as many games as possible, supporting me whenever they could, to them moving to Budapest where I was only able to see them probably once or twice every two weeks. They could only really come to the games that was closer to them. Um, it was a two and a half hour drive, so it was impossible for them to come to every single game. They tried to come to as many as they could, but I slowly started getting used to doing things on my own, preparing myself, learning on my own, studying on my own, concentrating to myself, packing my own bags, uh, making sure I've got everything ready for training. So in a way, that one and a half, two years that I've spent on my own in, in the academies in Budapest has helped me prepare, prepare me for that loneliness and uh, helped me prepare to be relying on myself so that, that was I didn't have my mum there to help me pack or pick something up or wash something. If I didn't get it clean, I didn't take it to where it needed to be, that it wasn't going to be ready. So... I had no one to bail me out. I had to get used to doing everything on my own. And don't forget, obviously, it was a different language, so I had to pick up the language on my own. Um, I moved out here in August. Straight away in September, I started high school. I was put into year 11 with all the other pupils. I had two of my teammates with me doing the same classes, so it was three of us. One of them was German, the other lad was Australian, with Polish background, so he spoke English, but... Me and the German lad. I would say we had good basic English skills, but again, to conversate and to hold a full conversation and, <coughs> sorry, to be able to sit down and just have a chat with the, uh, with all the other school kids. You know, it took us a couple of weeks, a couple of days to get used to all that, start picking up the language, words, sentences, what they meant. Slang, obviously, is very very important to know and yeah it was it was it was a whirlwind i just had to get used to everything straight away we got thrown straight in in the deep end doing gcses but in a way that kind of helped us not have too much time on our hands to think about everything that was occupying us so much that we always had something to do we always had somewhere to be straight after school get getting picked up going straight to training doing two training sessions, a gym session, having some food, doing our studies between two training sessions, then playing games on the weekend. And uh, to be fair to Stoke, they have it really well set up where they take players straight into host families. So instead of living on our own or living in shared accommodation, 
they uh, accommodate us to families who look after us, who integrate with us, who put, who basically welcome us with open arms. So we go straight into a family that looks after us, where we're not just looked at as these foreign kids who just sit in their rooms. They take us out. They used to take us out for weekends away. After a game on a Saturday, they pick us up. They take us, let's say, to the shopping centre with them, have a walk around the town, you know, just make us feel like we're a part of the family. So that really helps us integrate and just not forget about our families and forget about being away from home. But it kind of replaced the life in Hungary um, in a way that you didn't really feel too homesick. Obviously, I know of lads that struggled with it, but I believe that year and a half, two years that I've had away from home has massively prepared me for that. And of course, I was driven, I was hungry, I was motivated. I knew that if I'd come this far, I wasn't going to just give up and go back home <clears throat> with what... my tail between my legs. Oh, sorry. And what was like getting this move to England, playing in the top league, arguably one of the best leagues in the world? Despite being in the top league of Hungary football, what is it like joining the Premier League in Stoke? It was a massive culture shock. I would definitely say that the Premier League is the best league in the world. And just just picking up the pace, the speed of football, the technical ability that these lads had at 16 when I first arrived was already a massive difference to what I experienced back home. So I really had to just uh, get to grips with everything, pick up my training and just just try and catch up to everyone. Because, yes, I had the physical side where I was tall. I was quite lanky, so I had long arms, long legs, so I, I was fitting for a goalkeeper. But um, these lads have been, had been doing a gym for a year or two, getting stronger um, in certain areas, you know, that football requires. They had already been used to training five, six times a week playing in these much more competitive games whereas I'd come from a country where I'd never been in a gym in my life I'd never done a gym session in my life I was used to training two three times a week on Astro going to a game on the weekend where I'd easily be able to comfortably do my thing make my saves and um, bring my usual self to the game whereas here I had to acclimatise myself straight away pick up the speed you know I had to I had to learn to command my defence in a different in a different language. Again, that's really hard. I had to pick up those words, little um, sentences that that stuff like man on, you know, right shoulder, left shoulder, away keepers, all these little things that sound really stupidly small. It took me a while to understand, be able to shout it and get it in my head straight away what stuff means. And as a kid, when I was in a game, I was still thinking of the stuff in Hungarian. I had to get used to being able to think in English and be able to shout those quick words and phrases within milliseconds that I thought about it. So I didn't have time to just hesitate and be like, oh, oh, what am I trying to say? Oh, what's the word? Uh, Oh, yeah, man on. Because by the time I'd done that, the lad was tackled, the ball had been taken off of him, and they were attacking us straight away. So... Yeah, it was it was it was a it was a tough time. Unfortunately, about six months in, I had a bad kneecap fracture. Again, that was all just due to not being exposed to the same amount of training, same level of intensity, 
having moved over and dropped straight into a, a training uh, a training schedule that I wasn't used to. My body wasn't up to the challenge straight away. So I had about 10 months out with a kneecap fracture that had I not reported it a couple of weeks later, could have resulted in a in a completely broken patella and could have been the end of my football career. So straight away, that was a bit of a reality check to say, listen, you're not used to this. You need to you need to manage your body. You need to get used to the level, the intensity. And, you know, these lads have been doing that for years. I've just come in six months ago. So I was just trying so hard to catch up that I just overworked myself. So it was a harsh lesson to learn, but it taught me straight away that, yes, you need to work hard, but you need to look after your body as well. And you mentioned this being a big step up. Have you ever thought of quitting football, maybe, or leaving Stoke and returning back to Hungary due to this physicality or even mentalness? To be honest, there was tough times, but it was always the mental side. It was always the, when, when things are not going well and you're not in the team and you're not playing, then all of a sudden, you know, confidence disappears and you start thinking, oh, is it really for me? Am I really, am I really going to get something out of this? Am I really good enough? And then you start doubting yourself. Then the next time you go on the pitch, confidence isn't there. All of a sudden you make a mistake. And it can easily then turn into a spiral where one mistake, you know, you lose all your confidence. People start doubting you. Then you feel that doubt within yourself. Then the next time you go on the pitch, something bad happens again. And I've been in that cycle before. Where I thought, you know, is this really for me? Is this, is this, am I really good enough? Am I going to make it? Or should I just pack it in, concentrate on my studies, go back home and, and just start again? Or should I just leave this club completely, go back home, settle at a different club and just go from there? But I thought, listen, I, I've got this opportunity. I'm here. Thousands of kids at home would die for this opportunity. So I thought I cannot give this opportunity up. Whatever I can do with it, I'm going to have to make the most of it. So, yes, there's been doubts. There's been thoughts of, am I really good enough? But having sacrificed so much and been through so much already, I thought there was no way I'm going to give this up without a, a fair fight where I can say, you know, I gave it my everything, still nothing happened. Then I can say, OK, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. And then obviously after a couple of years at Stoke, you got promoted to the under-21 level where you would get to play in the Premier League too and you get to play in EFL Cups. And what is that like, getting this move up, knowing that you're good enough to get this move up and getting to play against some of the biggest players and biggest prospects in England? It was, it was amazing. I was only in my second year into my scholarship, so I was still... Was I? Yes, I was still 17 when... Um... We had a 23s game coming up against uh, Newcastle in November. And uh, back then, Sky Sports used to live cover a 23s game every couple of weeks. And it just it just did happen to be that that 23s game, Stoke 23s game against Newcastle was going to be on Sky Sports live. So uh, I think I was just preparing as normal with the under-18s for a weekend game. And then... Uh, on the Tuesday, I got pulled to the side by my goalkeeper coach and he said, listen, have you seen what happened? I said, oh, no, I don't know what you mean. Well, I don't know what's going on. He said, oh, yeah, well, Dale, the 23s goalkeeper, has been training with the first team. 
he landed funny today and I think he broke his collarbone. So he said, you'll be playing for the 23s on Thursday night. And this was a Tuesday afternoon. So he said, you'll be playing for the 23s on uh, Thursday afternoon against Newcastle. That was going to be my first time playing for the 23s. And it was going to be straight live on TV against Newcastle at the Bet365 Stadium. So straight away, I was, I was, I was like a, a child at Christmas. I was giddy. I was buzzing. Called my family straight away as soon as I got home saying, listen, I'll be playing live on TV. I'll be playing for the 23s. This is going to be the best time ever. And uh, going into the game on the Thursday, I think I was at home with my teammate. We used to live together, so there was a host family. They had two players, me and another lad. Um, and he was also in, involved in that 23s game. We were just both there like, oh my God, we're both so nervous. This is going to be, this is going to be so tough. But we were really looking forward to it. So came to seven o'clock the game kicked off and I think I had one of the best games of my life in that game I think I made about 12 or 13 saves I was man of the match um, all of a sudden again with one good game I kind of made the name for myself obviously being the game being live on TV a lot of clubs scouts um, other teams have watched get, uh, the game so after that I think the go the goalkeeper was um, injured for about two, three months with that collarbone. So I had a, a longer run in the 23s team. I played about 10, 12 games uh, in that period of time. Still travelling with the 18s, watching the 18s game uh, every weekend, obviously. Trying to stay grounded. They wouldn't let me just get uh, carried away with, oh, OK, I'm now a 23s player. I can do what I want. And it was nice because... Most games I go to, for example, for example, I think <coughs> the Saturday after that Thursday, the uh, the 18s were playing Manchester City away, so I travelled with the team to watch, and uh, the academy manager from Manchester City came up to me and said, "Oh, is that are you Dan? Did you play in the 23s game on Thursday?" I said, "Oh yeah, that was me." He said, "Very well played, lad. Well, uh, great game. Um, you're you're one for the future." So that that's when I realised, like, okay, every game I play in this league, every play, every game I play in this country, people are always watching, and, and I've got to give it my best every game because you never know what game is going to be that one game when someone watches you and thinks, you know what, I want to give that lad a chance, and that one game could change my life forever again. So that was that was amazing in that season. I think I started with the 18s. And then from that game onwards, I was pretty much a 23s player for the whole season. Played some unbelievable teams, played against the likes of Jack Wilshere, Mikel Arteta, Abu Dhabi. Um, he will be at Arsenal, who's now Everton. Played against Dom Solanke, played against Joe Gomez, um, Danny Ings. So I played against some unbelievable names and had some great games um, and some great moments. So. It was. I've got a lot of fun memories of the Premier League too. And another big difference between under twenty three level and the other levels are that fans regularly attend the under twenty three levels. And what was that like playing in front of these fans? Not just playing for yourself, but also playing for these fans as well. Yeah, at the time, I think the twenty threes regulation was that clubs had to play their games in stadiums that could hold at least a thousand people. I think. So most of the 23s game will be held at local non-league grounds. So there'll always be a couple hundred. I remember Arsenal away 
it was actually my 18th birthday. Played Arsenal away. That's when Wilshere, Arteta, Gnabry, uh, with the Abbey all started in, in the starting eleven. We played at the Emirates, and I think there was about four and a half thousand people there at the time. That was the most we've ever had a game, and just hearing a little bit of a roar every time they had the ball and had a chance, it was all of a sudden such a different experience from playing for the 18s where you had probably 20 parents all together, you know, a couple from each team, having a few scouts and then just mainly your staff watching the game. It was a completely different experience um, having all the fans around and all of a sudden then I, when I was 18, I got a long move to Nantwich Town for a month, played 12 games there in the non-league. All of a sudden being dropped into that game where, you know, there's thousands of people there. They come and abuse you, give you a little bit behind the goal and learning to deal with that, give it some back as well, having a laugh with them. Um, it's something that I've learned to really enjoy and really, uh, really, really like about playing football, just having all the fans there, having that crowd noise, having a bit of banter back and forth. It's it's amazing. And you talk about playing for Natwick, that non-league side. And what is that like also playing for a non-league side? Because like you said, you do get that fan interaction, but you also get a bit more physicality in a way so what is that like getting this non-league football it was it was a shock to the system for sure because up until then i'd only played under 18s and under 23s and then uh, again my goalkeeper coach said to me listen i've got this opportunity for you you've just turned 18 this will be really good for you for your development to learn and play men's football and to be fair to him he's explained it to me straight away so listen these people get paid per game um, they train twice a week. So for them, this is an extra income. Winning on the weekend is an extra 30, 50, 100 quid that they can take home and then enjoy with their families. That will be their spending money, you know, to go out on the Sunday to the zoo with their kids and stuff. So he said, this is serious. Like to them, this is life and death. Some people pay some of their mortgage off with those little bonuses and, and uh, appearance fees. So he said, this is cutthroat. You're going to have to take this serious. And this is really good for your learning. So... I went out there, trained with them once or twice, and then went into a game and straight away calling for the ball, say keepers catching the ball, and then having two strikers knock me straight off uh, into the onto the ground was a nice welcome. And I understood straight away, okay, this is a lot more serious, and I'm going to have to learn to use my body here. I'm going to have to learn to deal with challenges and and physicality. And like you said, yeah, it is a very physical league, a non-league. Um, it is life and death and people throw themselves around because it's it's they don't just play football for their work. They play football because they enjoy it. Because for you to go to training on a Thursday and Tuesday night at 7 o'clock after work, not seeing your kids and then playing football on a Saturday, travelling around the country, it is a lot of commitment. So straight away I understood what it meant and, and, and learned straight away that, yeah, this is serious. This is a lot of people's uh, income. And their life depends on this. So just being around the lads and it's a completely different atmosphere. The boys are much more down to earth, serious, but just normal people again. And and I really enjoy that interaction with them because everyone's just themselves. They talk about their kids. They talk about their girlfriends, talk about their wives, their families. And uh, it's a completely different atmosphere than being in a, in, let's say, a Premier League changing room. So I really enjoyed it, the football side of it, but also really enjoyed the the social side of it and being involved with the lads. It was it was one of some of the best times of my life. 
And looking back at it, would you say this was a vital point in your career, improving mentally and physically and just improving overall? I'd say so. I'd say football is very much a mental sport. And uh, goalkeeping, again, is a very much a mental sport. I'd say you can be the best goalkeeper in the world, but if you're not sorted mentally and you don't believe in yourself and you haven't got the right attitude, you'll quickly sink to the bottom of the shit, uh, to the bottom of the ocean straight away. So learning to deal with, you know, all the outside um, affections, like all the, all the banter, all the abuse, learning to deal with mistakes, learning to deal with the pressure of their every game meaning something. Even if you're losing one nil, getting that one point and getting a draw all of a sudden is much more important than in a 23s or 18s game where it's like, oh, well, there's no relegation. There is a bit of there's promotion, but you know if you don't get promoted, it's not the end of the world. So going to non-league and there being a pressure on every single move you make, every single save, every single kick uh, has to be good, has to be perfect. Um, it was really, really important. And then again, the physicality side, learning to use your body, it only gets harder and harder the higher you go up the leagues. League two, league one, still a very physical. Uh, both leagues are very physical. You have to know how to come out for crosses, how to use your body, punching over people, knocking into people, you know, going through slide tackles. It is really, really important. And I believe it was, like you said, it was a vital part of development for me that I needed at that at that time around 17, 18 years old. And obviously, because you're playing for this non-league club, you also have fans for yourself. And how did you almost like treat the fans? Did you always do autographs and did you take photos? Like, did fans ask for this at this point, despite being a non-league footballer? Yes, they did. Um, because Nantwich is only about 25 minutes, half an hour from Stoke. So everyone knows the club. Everyone knows that they're in the Premier League. So I was 18 coming from, you know, a Premier League academy to Nantwich. There was a little bit of buzz and a little bit of interest. And the teams, I believe, if I remember well, Nantwich used to travel on the same coach as some of the fans. So we'd have the fans sitting at the front and the players at the back. So it was a very, very community-driven club. The fans really loved the players. The players got on with the fans. And um, I really enjoy interacting with the fans because um, at the end of the day, I am a kid from an Eastern European country who up until 12, 13 years old used to sit in front of the TV and watch said players on TV. And now I was around the likes of Peter Crouch. I was around the likes of Marko Anatovic. Boyan Krikic, you know, some unbelievable players. So I know exactly what it's like to be a fan. And uh, I always try and make the most time for fans, for little kids coming to us for autographs, pictures. You know, I constantly get asked for gloves. Um, everyone, everyone, wants to give, uh, everyone wants me to give my gloves away. So every time I can, if I get a bit of an accumulation of gloves in the car, I usually give them out sign them, send them off, because, again, to me, it's just an old pedal glove that I would never use again, but to someone, uh, it'll be a little bit of motivation, it'll make their day, their weekend, it will give them a bit of happiness and a bit of joy that I know I got from getting my first football shirt, getting my first football 
getting my first pair of proper football boots. I know exactly what that feels like. So I try and make as much time as possible, chat to the fans after games, give them autographs, whatever I can, uh, whatever they ask for, whatever it is, I try and make the most, uh, most of the time for them. And then the following year, you actually rejoined the club. And how was that, getting this acknowledgement of them wanting you back again? And how was that? That was that was a really nice feeling. Uh, like I said, I was only there for a month at the end of the season. And then I went through pre-season, had a bit of an injury, didn't get a good start to the season, so I wasn't playing too much. So it got to about November, December, and the gaffer rang me and said, Dan, listen, like, would you like to come back? We'd like you to come back and play for the rest of the season. Uh, take your loan in January and play for us. And I went, listen, I really appreciate it. And let me speak to the club, but I want to play. So if there is no chance for me to play regularly here, then I'd love to come. Uh, went and spoke to the club. The club said, listen, <coughs> with you having been injured, the other lad that's been playing has been doing well. We're not going to drop him. So I said, OK, that's fine straight away. That's not a problem. But I'd like to get uh, the loan move sorted to Nantwich. And to be fair to Stoke, they, they didn't really oppose that. Sorted it out straight away. And uh, I played the rest of the season with Nantwich. You know, we got to the playoff semi-final. Um, did well in that season. And again, I just got constant game time, more and more men's football. And I believe uh, that helped me a lot. And again, the confidence from the gaffer to to ring me up and say, Dan, listen, we'd like you to come back. We really enjoyed having you. You did well for us. We'd like you to come back. It's it's a bit of a confidence boost for me as well to say, you know what? He liked me last season. I must have done something all right. It kind of sets me up, puts me on the front foot straight away um, to know that the gaffer believes in me and the gaffer, you know, rates me. And then during your time at Nat, which... There was um, a lot of work going on at Stoke, especially with the coaching. I know some of the coaches got sacked and there was a lot of new appointments. This ultimately led to you getting released by Stoke. And how did you feel getting released by one of your arguably favourite clubs in England? And did you have a backup plan? It was tough. It was definitely tough. Around that time, my goalkeeper coach got sacked. Um the one that brought me over, the one that mentored me from the start, left the club, so I was struggling. All of a sudden, for the first time in five years, I had a new coach. You know, different techniques, different expectations. That was tough. Then he left. We had another new coach. In the first team, we had um, Mark Hughes for ages whilst I was there. He got sacked, so we had a new guy for coming. Um, again... After six months, we got relegated to the championship. New gaffer coming again, new staff, new coaching staff. Everything was changing so quick. But during that time, I played some of my best football towards the end of that um, end of my contract at Stoke. I ended up getting a one-year extension. In that last year, I did really well again. Played my best football in that last season. And uh, it was either the, I had the option of staying, but being a first-team training goalkeeper, or uh, saying no, leaving uh, on a free transfer, getting released and trying to find myself somewhere where I can go and prove myself. And in the end, it came down to not wanting to be a training goalkeeper. I wanted to be a goalkeeper that goes out and plays and makes a name for himself. So I turned down an offer to stay and be a first-team training goalkeeper and just you know come in, train and do nothing more. 
I wanted to go and prove myself. And uh, I had a couple offers at the time. Stuff didn't quite work out. And uh, in the end, I ended up going to Wigan, which was, again, some of my favourite people, some of my favourite coaches, some great players. And in the end, you know, it could sound like it was a backup plan, but uh, it came in the middle of July out of nowhere. It wasn't expected. And it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've gone straight into a first-team setup with great goalkeepers, uh, David Marshall and Jamie Jones, Owen Evans. Had some great coaches. I had Paul Cook as the gaffer, Liam Richardson, who's still there, was the assistant. Um, Anthony Barry, who's now at Chelsea, um, was the first-team coach. I had Nick Corgan as goalkeeper coach. Some great coaches, great people. And in that season, I've learned probably the most being involved in the first team um, set up, travelling to all the games. That was the first, um, I think I had three appearances on the bench in the championship that season. So all of a sudden, you know, things picked up and I realised that I've made the right decision not staying and just settling for, you know, good money sitting and sitting around the first team, just training, doing nothing. I ended up going into a setup where I was where I was important, where I was wanted, and 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 I, I really benefited from that. You mentioned getting into this first team as well, and how did that non-league football help you, like develop into this first team? Because <coughs> obviously your yeah. under twenty-three level that would have fairly helped, but getting that non-league, that physicality, how did that help you fit into the first team with some of the biggest players in the league? I believe that what helped me with non-league was the mentality. Um, again, I used to uh, I learned to use my body and got used to that physicality of men's football. But the main thing that changed was when I was in the academy, I was just happy to train, do my best in games, and see what happens. I soon realised that that's not enough. I've got to go and knock on the gaffer's door, speak to the gaffer, you know, be on to him about this, and I want to play. I want to play. I want to be on the bench. I be, I, be, I believe I'm better than him. I believe I'm better than him. That was something that came from being around the first team and seeing the lads, you know, if they weren't in a team, they weren't just like, oh, well, OK, I'm not in the team, whatever. They'd go to the gaffer, ask for an explanation, you know, not rude, but ask to speak to the gaffer to say, listen, what do I need to do? What have I not been doing? Why am I not in the team? And uh, the gaffer would explain, this is what it is. This is the situation. You know, you need to do this, this, this. And I quickly realised that it's not just about doing your best on the pitch and see what happens. You've got to go and speak to the gaffer and, and be on to him and, and, and be sure to that, that he's in your, in, you're in his thoughts. And obviously during your time at Wigan, COVID massively affected the whole of football. And what was that like, getting put into this lockdown? How did you train, like, keep this physicality and just maintain a footballer? It was really tough. Um, I think anyone would tell you that it was unprecedented. So we didn't really know what to do. We didn't know how long things would last. We all thought this was going to be a couple of weeks and we'd be back out training. So it got to February. We were all fine. And then I, I unfortunately picked up a little groin injury in, in February. So the first two weeks of March, when this whole thing started, I actually wasn't training. And then came in to, I believe it was a Friday. We were ready, getting ready to travel. I think it was Blackburn away. And um, we saw, obviously, the news started picking up more and more. Like, oh, 
virus is coming along. It's taking a lot of people. There will be measures, and we're a bit unsure what's going to happen over the weekend. And then all of a sudden, Friday morning, the text comes in the group chat saying, lads, training's getting pushed later. We're having a team meeting. So we all thought, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. So we're all just sitting in a changing room. Gaffer, assistant manager, everyone comes in and just goes, listen, here's the club dog. He'll explain to you what's going on. But uh, the games have been called off this weekend. We're not playing at all. There's no games. Everyone can go home. It looks like for the two, next two, three weeks, there won't be any football. So we all just sat there and looked at each other like, what? What do you mean? And he just went, yeah, there's no football. The next two, three weeks, games have all been called off. Looks like we'll be staying at home for a couple of weeks. No training, nothing. We're not allowed to be in a group exercise. And we're hoping that will just blow over. And in a couple of weeks' time, you know, we'll be back to normal. So we all thought, oh, okay, you know, the lads were joking about it, saying, oh, I might go on holiday, this, that. Let's look at that. We got two weeks off. So it came to Saturday, came to Sunday, and on Sunday we started seeing all these things about a lockdown and people having to stay at home. So I I remember just going straight back to the training round, and we got a message saying, lads, listen, it looks like we'll be at home for a couple of weeks. If anyone wants to, you can come and collect some gear from the gym. So I just went to the training round, picked up some stuff that I know I use personally, picked up a program from the physios for my uh, injury, and we just kind of agreed to see what happens, keep in touch over WhatsApp and just see how I progress my injury. So the first two weeks go by, I'm doing my gym sessions, doing a bit of running on my own. Everyone's on Strava. I'm sure you can remember the time and everyone's posting times on Strava. We've had our own group chat, uh, sending in times, 5K runs, 10K runs, sprints up hills, so and so. April comes around, it's nearly been three weeks. Everyone's still like, okay, well, this is, this is a bit longer than expected. Whole of April goes by again, just sitting at home, doing my running, doing my gym in the back garden, um, just playing with the dog all day. Me and my girlfriend just just doing nothing. And then uh, May comes around, and then slowly, finally, May we started getting these little whispers of, okay, there might be a a chance that we'll restart the season. And then it came to the mid, 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 I think it was mid end of May when they said, okay, Championship and Premier League will just finish off the league. League One and League Two are cancelled. So then slowly we started getting all these uh, advisory um, stuff in about, okay, we're going to come back to training. This is how it's going to go. It's going to be group sessions, only eight people per group. <coughs> um, it's going to be split. So some one group comes in, then when they leave, the next group comes in. And then slowly we'll start building it up and hoping that the government allows us to start training together. So week by week, it was new measures, testing every day. And it was just unprecedented. It was crazy. No one knew what was going to happen the next day. And yeah, it was just unpredictable and, 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 and just wild. We never, we never really had that before where you had just two and a half months of sitting at home and just doing nothing, doing your own training sessions and just see what happens. And then during 2019 and this COVID era, Wigan got really affected, especially with money problems, and this ultimately led to them getting relegated. And how did this affect the whole team's spirit, really, these money problems? Did this affect you, the team, and just how did it affect the club? It was It was really... I don't even know where to start. It was. It was a crazy experience because at the middle of the season, about Christmas time, we were bottom of the table in a championship so 
we were pretty much the favourites to go down that year. And then we came in for the new year. Uh, we beat Birmingham away at St Andrews. I think it was on New Year's Day. And then from then on, we went on a run of like 17, 18 games unbeaten all the way to COVID. So all of a sudden, we climbed straight up the table and we were doing well. Then COVID came in, um, halted the season, still thinking nothing's going on, all fine, everything's okay. You know, people took a deferral, pay cuts and so so on. So so we all agreed that with the club to say, yeah, we of course, we understand the club needs a bit of help. And then uh, I think we had 10 games left of the season when we when we started the season again. I think it was end of May, beginning of June. 10 games to go. We played four of them, five of them, I believe. we just beaten Stoke on a Tuesday night. And that meant that um, we could literally lose the next five, six games and we'd still be um, safe from relegation. So that Tuesday night, was everyone was buzzing. The boys are all celebrating in a change room. Everyone's like really high good mood and then we were off on the Wednesday and in on the Thursday so I still remember the text we were all sitting at home and then someone just put in the group chat a BBC a, a Sky News article saying oh big and athletic have entered administration so we we're all sat at home and we're like no this is surely a joke like this is this must be fake news so we all got on like a group chat on FaceTime and we we're all like no no like nothing is going on and the only person missing from the group chat was um, Sammy Morsi, the captain. So we're all like, Sammy, what's going on? Sammy, what's going on? And uh, all of a sudden, an hour later, Sammy comes in the group chat and says, lads, it's true. I've just spoke to the gaffer. We are in administration. And everyone, we've gone from the high of Tuesday night when we won and we were math- mathematically safe to the next day at midday, I think it was. All of a sudden, we're in administration. So all the players are just looking at each other like, what's going on? Thursday, we went into training and we just met by the administrators saying, this is what's happening. You're not getting paid. You know, we'll try and sort everything out. There is this much money. It will be going towards your travel to make sure we can fulfill the games and we'll see how much we can get you paid. So all of a sudden, you know, the lads are in in a different mood. But the good thing was that the togetherness in that squad has just pulled through. So we all just carried on and said, listen, it doesn't matter. Minus 12 points, whatever. We'll just carry on and we'll save ourselves. So we went on again. The next four games, I believe, we won three and drew one. And we had to win the last game against Fulham to stay up at home. And we ended up drawing 2-2 with Fulham, who ended up getting promoted, I believe, in like the 80-something minute from a free kick. So... Yeah, it was just gutting because the team were really together and really ready to pull this off. And it was really a sucker punch to to play Fulham and to be in that position where they scored in the 80, I believe, 84th minute with a free kick. And that ended up getting us relegated. And yeah, it was just, it was just gut-wrenching really because the boys were together. We were fighting. Everyone was in it. Um, we were all late on payments, but no one really cared about that. We, all, we were all sure that we were going to keep this team in the championship. And did these money problems actually lead to you leaving the club and joining Petersburg? In a way, it did. Um, I got offered a new contract before COVID kicked off because I was on a one-plus-one-year contract and they said, listen, we'd like to keep you around. Uh, you've been really good around the lads. You've improved. You know, you've shown commitment and you've done well. We want you to stay. So I said, OK, I'm really, like, I'm really happy with that. Thank you. I think I'd like to stay. And then the 
money problems started and all of a sudden I started seeing the team disappear. So day after day, bids were coming in for players and uh, I didn't know whether the club was going to be around. We were in administration, but obviously at the time I thought, where am I going to get the best chance of playing? Am I going to be at Wigan and see what happens? Or do I go to Peterborough and fight for my place? And at that time I thought, my best chance is going to Peterborough fighting for my place. That's how that move came around. And looking back at your decision-making, would you say this was a good decision? It's tough to say because I've only played a couple of games for Peterborough before leaving and things didn't work out how I wanted them to. What I can say is going back, I probably would have made the decision again. Wigan was in administration for a year. I don't know if they would have been able to keep around three goalkeepers on a contract. Who knows, if if I'd stayed around, they might not have been able to honour the contract, so I would have had to leave anyways. So it's 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 one of those situations that I don't really like to go back and reminisce whether, you know, a what-if would have changed my situation. Again, I've learned a lot at Peterborough. I've toughened a lot mentally. I've learned the ugly side of the game a bit, what goes on behind the pitch. It's not certainly always about what goes on on the pitch. And, uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. I've toughened up a lot and it just set me up to go out and earn myself somewhere else. So I was really happy when Maidenhead came along. I took the loan opportunity as soon as I could and it's been really good ever since and I'm really enjoying it. So, again, it just goes back to playing as much football as possible. And playing for Maidenhead in front of the fans and just doing the whole Maidenhead experience, how are you finding it? And just, are you liking football, loving football even? And how are you just finding football at the moment? I've gone through a tough time at Peterborough. I've had I've had to have uh, a surgery on my hernias in the summer. That I've had a broken rib. And I have to say I was really low over the last six months. I've had some really low points where I wasn't enjoying my football. I wasn't enjoying going into Peterborough knowing I was on a transfer list and not wanted. And then... Going into Maidenhead, felt like I was resurrected. Going straight in, great group of lads, great manager. My first game went in, we beat Bromley straight away 1-0, kept a clean sheet, had a really good game. And all of a sudden, that just kind of kicked me back to life. It, it just it just reignited that spark towards football that I've been missing for nearly a year. It really brought me back the, the joy and the enjoyment of being on a football pitch and just being able to express myself. So... I'm loving every minute, I'm loving every second. The fans have been really good. They've took to me straight away and I can't thank them enough for that because without the support of the fans, <coughs> some of these non-league clubs would, you know, wouldn't be uh, around. So I'm just enjoying every moment, making the most of it and trying to do my best for the team. And do you believe you can actually get Maidenhead back to the EFL League 2 and maybe even climb up the leagues? even potentially to championship one day, perhaps? I mean, Luton's done it. Luton's come from the conference all the way up to the championship now, so why not? Um, the team's really good. I believe we needed a bit of a confidence boost, and with the recent results, we've gone on a run. All of a sudden, we've cleared the relegation zone and we're climbing up the table, so I can't see why we couldn't challenge towards promotion places for this season, maybe even next season. And you're obviously only 25, and that's still very young for a goalkeeper. And how far do you think you can potentially reach? It's a good question. It's a question I ask myself a lot. And uh, I've learned not to look too far ahead. 
Um, I want to make it as far as possible. You know, I want to play for my senior national team. I want to go to international tournaments. I'd love to play in the Premier League uh, one day, possibly Champions League even. Those are all the dreams that I've had since I was a kid. And uh, I'm just going to be doing my best and working my hardest to get towards those dreams. And, you know, if I get to the championship, then I get to the championship. But I'll never be satisfied with where I am. So I'm always going to be fighting and pushing for more and more and more. And that's the that's the only way you'll ever get anywhere. So I can't tell you where I'll end up. All I can tell you is that I'm looking towards my next step. And that is making sure that we do as well as possible with Maidenhead this season. And then in the summer, we'll be looking towards the next season. And I know you're playing Eastleigh tomorrow. So good luck for that. And just good luck for everything in the future. Hopefully I'll thank see you, you playing for Hungary um, in a couple of years' time, perhaps. But yeah, thank you for coming on. It's been brilliant speaking with you. No, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And, and you know, it's nice to speak about things and <coughs> reminisce about things myself sometimes. It's it's easy to get caught up and, you know, just forget the journey and, and this trip that I've been on for the last probably nearly 20 years now. Oh, hopefully we can catch up in um, a couple of months or years, perhaps, and we'll speak again good. soon. But Definitely. Like said, thank you very much. Thank you for coming on, and just thanks. No, thank you very much.